Thank you, worship team, for leading us in singing this morning, and thank all of you for singing. I'm here in the front row, and it sounds really good hearing all these voices behind me. So thank you for singing out and worshiping the Lord together. Great to be with the body of Christ and to be able to worship together. Well, we have been working our way through the book of Philippians, and we are in the last chapter, Philippians chapter 4. And I'll be looking at Philippians 4, 10 through the end of the chapter, which concludes the book. So if you want, you can open your Bible, if you have your Bible, or you can grab a Bible from one of the seats, from the pocket in front of you, and follow along. And Philippians chapter 4, picking up at verse 10, it says, But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that now at last you have revived your concern for me, Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. Verse 12. I know how to get along with humble means and also how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Nevertheless, you have done well to share with me in my affliction. You yourselves also know, Philippians, that the first preaching of the gospel after I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving but you alone. For even in Thessalonica you sent a gift more than once for my needs. Not that I seek the gift itself, but I seek the profit which increases to your account. But I have received everything in full and have, and have an abundance. I am amply supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you have sent, a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Now to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet the saint. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brethren who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Lord, I pray that you would open up your word to us now by your Holy Spirit and that we would uh, learn and grow in you and that you would be exalted in this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, uh, when we were living overseas, uh, my boys had some of their friends come over. They lived out of the country and they were visiting us for <clears throat> a few days. And uh, they, uh, uh, we were sitting at the dinner table and we had a meal together, and uh, when they were finished, the oldest boy, a little bit of a schmoozer, just to let you know, but he said uh, to, to Jody, thank you, Mrs. Green, for the meal. It was very delicious. I enjoyed it very much. May I please be excused? And Jody's like, oh, well, yes, of course. When he finished, the next boy said, thank you, Ms. Thank you Mrs. Green. I enjoyed the meal very much. It was very delicious. May I please be excused? Exact same words. And Jody figured out, oh, so they were taught to say this. And the second one said it in such a robotic, monotone fashion. <laughs> he was a little bit of a joker. And so we kind of caught the joke that he's making a joke out of giving thanks. And uh, uh, Jody's like, oh, okay. <laughs> uh, the book of Philippians chapter 4 is a heartfelt thanks. It's not just something memorized. It is a very grateful missionary who is returning thanks 
through the church that helped support him or sponsor him. And so Paul is taking the time. In fact, that's the whole point of this book. Now, of course, there's much more than the last few verses of this book. Uh, but that's the occasion why Paul decided to write the letter in the first place. It's to thank the believers in Philippi because they have given generously to Paul's ministry. Paul is in prison in Rome. And so you will see that they came alongside and sent Epaphroditus who delivered the gift of finances to them. And so along the way, as Paul is giving thanks to them for their generosity, he takes the time to write a little bit more to the church at Philippi. But he starts off the book in Philippians chapter 1, verses 3 and 5, and he says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all. Why? Listen to this. In view of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now. The Philippian believers were participants in the gospel of Jesus Christ, the expansion of the church of Jesus Christ, the spread of the message that Jesus Christ is the Messiah who died on the cross and rose again so that anyone who has faith in him receives forgiveness of sins and eternal life. They were part of that expansion of the gospel by being involved in Paul's ministry. And Paul says, whenever I think about you, I'm grateful, grateful that you are partakers sharers in the expansion of the worldwide proclamation of the good news of Jesus Christ, that Jesus saves. He says in verse 7, he says, For it is only right for me to feel this way about you all, because I have you in my heart, since both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you all are partakers of grace with me. They're partners, they're partakers, they're taking part in the spread of the gospel. Not simply are they cutting a check and sending it to their missionary, but they are involved themselves in helping to share the gospel with those around them and be involved in the expansion of the church globally and locally through their verbal proclamation of the gospel as well. And then he says in, I'm just doing a brief survey of the book till we get to chapter 4, but he says in verse chapter 1, verse 27, he says, only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. So it is not enough simply to preach the gospel. It's not enough simply to give money towards the expansion of, the, of the, the church. But we need to live consistently with the message, to conduct ourselves in a manner that is consistent with the gospel message. In other words, we need to be gracious people. The gospel is a gospel of grace. The message is one of grace. Being on the mission field for many years, being overseas, when home on furlough, people have often asked me, what is one thing I can do to help encourage you as a missionary? And my response is always the same. And I really appreciate the question. It's a good question. It's a fair and honest question. But my response is always the same. The most encouraging thing you can do for me as a missionary is that you walk with the Lord where you're at. And that you be faithful to what God has called you to in the context that he has called you in. We lived overseas not because we did not love our own country. We love our country very much. But because there are believers here who are salt and light. And being overseas, it makes it so much easier when we know that there are people who love Christ, who are authentic in their Christian life, 
and who are walking with the Lord and actively telling others about their faith in Jesus Christ as well. So what does it mean to conduct yourself in a manner worthy? Well, first of all, next verse, uh, verse 27, it says, standing firm in one spirit. That's uni unity. Uh, if we want to conduct ourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel, if we want to be involved in the global expansion of the church of Jesus Christ, we need to be unified. That means we need to uh, put aside petty grievances, love one another, and be unified. That's standing firm in one spirit. We also need to strive together. That is working together for the faith. That's evangelism. Evangelism or the gospel isn't just a few hired people who go out and share their faith. It's the church. It's all believers. It's the community striving together for the faith. That is having a common goal. If you want to be unified and if you want a unified church, the most direct route to a unified church is to have a common goal, to be in the battle together. Uh, when I was overseas, I helped coach an American football team. It was Slovenes playing the American sport of football. And uh, we had quite a cross-section of Slovenes who were, who were on our team. We had students, doctors, lawyers, businessmen, factory workers, soldiers, police, and guys that the police were looking for. But we came together for a common cause. We wanted to win football games. We really did. And uh, I was um, uh, a coach, and I, I was very clear. I, I want to talk to the players about my belief in God. And those who want to listen, I want to share with them how they can know God through Jesus Christ. And I want to help you win football games. Very committed to that. Um, we became a very competitive team. And uh, the unity with all these different guys, we would not have unity except for one thing. We wanted to win. That's what we need in the church, that we want to win. We want to be in part of the spread of the gospel worldwide, proclaiming that Jesus Christ is the Messiah who died and rose again for our sins. Uh, the third thing about conducting ourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel is found in Philippians chapter 2, one of the most beautiful passages in the whole Bible. This is like holy, holy ground. It's, the, it's about the kenosis, the emptying of the Lord Jesus Christ who left his home in glory and came to earth in a uh, backwards, third world, underprivileged country. Was misunderstood, misrepresented, abused, and eventually crucified. And it says, have this, verse 5 of chapter 2, have this attitude in yourselves, which was in Christ Jesus. Humility. If we want to be in part of the advancement of the gospel, um, it means allowing Christ to have his way in our lives and being humble, uh, being God-focused, other-centered, and um, seeing Christ exalted. That's what it takes to be involved and then he says uh, that involvement in the gospel and giving away our faith and being involved in helping to support others who are sharing their faith is a necessary part of Christian maturity. Notice verses 12 and 13. It says, 
So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now, much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who has worked in you, both the will and the work for his good pleasure. Uh, there is a maturity, a growth that happens when we involve ourselves in the Great Commission, when we involve ourselves in evangelism and discipleship, when we are actively giving away our faith in Jesus Christ to other people and sharing the good news that Jesus is the Savior with people. And I am convinced that we will never reach maturity if we are not involved in the proclamation of the gospel. I believe that is a necessary necessary element for spiritual growth and maturity. There are many ways you can be involved in the advancement of the gospel. Financially, you can give to uh, the, the church local, you can give to missionaries or those who are involved in Christian work and Christian activity. Uh, another way you can be involved is prayer. Praying for those who are doing the work of ministry, but also praying for yourself. And that God would give you opportunities to share your faith in Jesus Christ. <clears throat> when I was a senior in college, I had learned to share my faith. I was sharing my faith regularly. I tried to share my faith in Christ with, with uh, the guys on my floor. There were about 50 guys. and uh, So I was taking the initiative regularly to talk to people about Christ. And I remember during my devotions one morning, I was praying to God. And I said, God, uh, I would like for you just to open the door for me today and give me an opportunity to share you with someone and that I wouldn't have to try and figure out how to open it, but that you would open the door and give me that opportunity. And then I went about my way. I forgot all about the prayer and uh, went to classes, studied, worked, all the stuff that I had to do that day <clears throat> until later that night. And I had to get my car fixed. And someone gave me the number of someone who would fix it really cheaply in his garage. And so I drove across town and found the address where this guy was lived, where he was going to work on my car. And it was not a nice section of town. And I drove down this road, and there weren't any streetlights on that road. I don't know if they were not working or what. But it was dark, and then there was only one light, and that was the light coming from his garage. He had his garage door open. I was hoping he wouldn't show up, but he was there, and he's waving me to come in, and it just didn't feel real safe to me. <clears throat> and I drove into his, his gra uh, garage, and I don't think it felt real safe to him either. He had this big, long pipe, metal pipe there as, he, as I'm coming into his garage. And, uh, um, and I opened the door, and I left the car running so I could make a quick escape if I needed to. And took one step out, and it's like the Holy Spirit said, this is, this is the guy. This is who you're going to talk to. And so I drove in, and he started to work on the car, and I thought, how am I going to talk to him about the Lord? He's busy working, and uh, how am I going to make this happen? But my prayer was that God would open the door. And so as I was standing there, and he's working, he said to me, he said, my wife and I are Mormons. What do you think about that? I said, well, tell me about Mormonism. And he says, well, we're not really Mormons. Some Mormons stopped by our house and invited us to their church, so we went one Sunday. But that's it. Uh, we don't really go to church anymore. And we don't know what we believe. What, what do you believe? 
pray for open doors. Just pray. Ask God that he would give you open doors. And be amazed at what he will do. Be looking for those opportunities. Um, learn a method of how to share your faith. I have a uh, friend who uh, was attending evangelism explosion classes. And uh, um, someone said, well, isn't that kind of a method that you're learning? And she said, well, if I didn't learn a method, I probably wouldn't be sharing my faith today. Start somewhere, but learn how to communicate your faith. Uh, you can go on a missions trip. Sometimes it's easier to talk to people about your faith in Christ who are distant so that you can learn, kind of grow and practice, and then come back and do it locally. Um, Write your personal testimony out, how, uh, what your life was like before you came to Christ, exactly how you came to faith in Christ, and then what Christ has done in your life afterwards. Uh, Peter says, always be ready. Always be ready to give an account for the hope that is in you. So have your testimony and even memorize it so it's ready to go. Uh, so that on a moment's notice, you can say, well, the Lord did this in my life. And be ready to give an account for why you believe in Christ. One of the things we did this summer was we put door hangers on, on uh, <clears throat> doors with information about Grace Church and some links to websites where they were gospel links. There were two different gospel links. One was a little more uh, uh, artistic and one was a little more direct. And then information about Grace Church. And then we were just hanging them on doors and then if we encountered someone uh, then we took the opportunity to say, you know what, this is just some information about our church we're trying to give to people. But one of the things we like to do is just get information from people, other people in the community, and find out what they're thinking. And so we have a, just a, a few question interview. And the interview was, had some questions about spiritual faith. Just asking, finding out where people are at. We got into some really interesting conversations. Uh, we're going to do this again. I invite all of you to be a part of it, to go out and interact with the community around us. Uh, there's a lot of lost people who don't know the Lord, and i got to believe that God is working in the hearts of some of these people in this community who need to hear the gospel message. <clears throat> and then learn to ask penetrating questions, uh, whether it be at a coffee shop, a restaurant, or at the, the cashier at the checkout. Um, just... Ask them how their day is, you know, how are you doing? And uh, then ask some questions about, you know, what's going on, you know, anything, uh, however the Lord leads. Come up with your own questions there. I can help with some, but yeah, come up with your own questions that maybe that will lead to an open door. So those are some ways to be involved in the gospel. Maybe you can think of some more. Chapter 2, verses 19 through 30, it says, uh, he basically he says, look to and Look for and follow the example of godly Christians who are faithful in their Christian faith, who are taking the initiative to share Christ with other people and are taking steps of faith. He uses Timothy as an example, and he says, uh, you know, verse 22 of chapter 2 of Philippians 2, uh, but you know of his proven worth that he served with me in the furtherance of the gospel like a child serving his father. Timothy was involved in the gospel. And so Paul's saying, look at Timothy. Here's a guy, he's a good example of someone who's taking the initiative to give his life away in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then he uses the example of Epaphroditus, one of their own members, who was the one who took the money to Paul in Rome 
the gift that the Philippian church, the Philippian believers, sent for, for Paul for his ministry and for his defense of the gospel in Rome. And uh, then he says of Epaphroditus that he came near to the point of that. He got sick. He became close to death. And so when you do step out in faith in the gospel, sometimes there are risks, even physical risks sometimes. Um, but he says about Epaphroditus, hold men like him in high regard. Isn't that a great thing? That's in the Bible. Um, hold men like him in high regard. Why? Because he came near to the point of death and risked his life uh, for the gospel of Jesus Christ. <clears throat> um, churches need to listen to their missionaries. When their missionaries come back, you need to hear their stories and, and, and pray for them, support them, be involved as best you can. Chapter 3, if you want to be in a church that is a force in the spread of the gospel, be careful about the two traps of, of legalism and um, libertinism, uh, license. Don't fall off the horse on either side. Pay attention to your message and what you believe, and pay attention to the message of those you support. Know what they are teaching. Know what they are preaching and uh, don't give money to just any ministry that asks for support pay attention know what they believe make sure they are heaven focused that's what he says verse 20 of chapter 3 our citizenship is in heaven so the issue is heaven it's eternal life um, there's a lot of issues and a lot of things we can give money to some are good some are better than others uh, a lot of things uh, the gospel is about eternal life. It's about the next world, not this world. Uh, make sure that you give to those who are heaven-focused and truly gospel-focused. There are many good causes, but not all causes are equal. That sounds judgmental, maybe, but I believe not all causes are equal. Uh, acts of service are good things, but gospel proclamation is the best. Living consistently with the gospel, the gospel proclamation is the thing that the church needs to really be involved in. And um, advancing the message, the good news that Jesus Christ saves. So he says in verse 20 of chapter 3, keep your focus eternal. Our citizenship is in heaven. And uh, I lived in the Balkans, Southeast Europe for many years. In World War II, there was lots of uh, fighting that took place there and Britain uh, Great Britain was uh, aiding the war effort by giving money and weapons to the royalists who were fighting the Germans in the Balkans and halfway through the war they switched their support from the royalists to Tito Tito became the dictator he was the leader of the communists and so why did why did Churchill, Churchill said the reason he switched his support from the royalists, which were really more aligned with Britain, to the, than to the communists, is because the communists, in the, Churchill's words, were killing more Germans. That's pretty brutal, isn't it? It was a bottom line decision that Churchill made to switch his support from one group to the other. I think we need to make bottom line decisions sometimes about how we invest our time, our energy, our talents, and our giving. Um, Jesus told the story in Luke chapter 16 
of a servant who had not managed very well, and the master wanted his money, and he's like, I don't have it. And, and so he went and, and thought, I'm too weak to work. I don't want to do the manual labor. And so he went to um, people that owed his master money and said, how much do you owe? Okay, write down less. And he got as much money as he could. He went to each person got less money, but he got some. And then Jesus says this in Luke 16, 18. Now, this wasn't a... Uh, a good biblical practice. This guy was corrupt. It says, and, and his master praised the unrighteous manager. Why? Because he had acted shrewdly. For the sons of this age are more shrewd in relation to their own kind than the sons of light. And Jesus is saying we need to be shrewd. Not unrighteous, not corrupt, but shrewd with our time, our talents, our energy, our money. All of who we are, all of what we have, we need to figure out what's the best bang for the buck. Be gracious people in the midst of it, but realize that we have an accounting. Luke 16, 9, continuing on in that same parable, uh, Jesus said, And I say to you, make friends for yourselves by means of the wealth of unrighteousness, so that when it fails, they will receive you into their eternal dwellings. Use money, dirty money, for eternal purposes so that there will be people in heaven because of your message who are going to welcome you into heaven. Be shrewd, make the most of the opportunities that we have. And then in chapter 4, uh, verses 2 through 3, if you want to be involved in the advancement of the gospel, you see a conflict taking place here between Yodi and Syndicate. If you want to be involved in the advancement of the gospel, be a peacemaker not a peace breaker. Uh, um, don't be one who's causing the dissension and problem, but be one who works together for reconciliation and peace with other people for the purpose of the advancement of the gospel. It goes on, you are a peacemaker when you are, uh, it says in chap uh, verse 5 of chapter 4 of Philippians, when you are gentle. We are in a day and age with an in-your-face in culture. The Bible says be gentle. Uh, when we are gentle with others, it continues on uh, about praying. When we're praying, when we're asking God for things, when we're giving thanks. In other words, we're choosing to focus on the positive instead of the negative. Uh, at times in our family, we have our family devotions, or have normally um, each morning, and, uh, uh, and you, it doesn't have to be in the morning. You can figure out when it works for your family, uh, but I really recommend family devotions at some time. It doesn't have to be long and drawn out, but regular time of prayer and in the Word. Sometimes we felt like we were a little stuck as a family, like we're not firing on all cylinders. There's some static in the background. <clears throat> something's not quite right. Maybe it's in the ministry as well. And one of the things we found that, is been, that has been very helpful for us is that when we feel stuck, is to just stop and as a family, start giving thanks for everything we can think of. Just keep going down the list and give thanks for everything that we can think of. And the second thing that we would do is agree together in prayer. If there was a need, we would come around that individual. You know, it would be me at times where we would agree together in prayer. 
I believe there is power when believers get together and agree in prayer. And then the third thing we would do is worship God. We'd sing uh, songs, hymns normally, and just spend time worshiping God. And I cannot see into the spiritual realm, but it sure seemed like there were spiritual breakthroughs when we would um, just take the time to do these simple things. When we felt like there's some type of oppression going on, just taking the time to thank God, taking time to pray together and join with one another in agreeing in prayer and taking time to praise God. Um, and then he says in verse 8 of chapter 4, watch out what goes into your mind. Guard uh, what goes into your mind. But think about whatever's true, honorable, right, pure, lovely, of good repute, if any excellence, if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. Guard what goes into your mind and practice them. Uh, he says in verse 9, things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. Over and over again, make the practice of getting God's good stuff in. Because we get bad stuff in all the time, just from living in this world. And then he comes to the point of the book in chapter 4, verse 10 of Philippians. And he says, you've revived your concern for me. You've uh, given to my ministry. You found me. Evidently, they didn't know where Paul was. They'd given to him when he was in Macedonia before. But Paul had been arrested in Jerusalem. Now he shows up in Rome. They get word that, hey, Paul's in Rome. They send Epaphroditus with a gift for his defense and confirmation of the faith. Perhaps it was part of his defense for his trial, but also he's just defending. He's taking the initiative to share Christ in prison in Rome. And he also had to live there at his own expense. And so um, the church at Philippi provided for him there. Uh, they wanted to support Paul in his ministry, but they just didn't know how. And uh, it goes on in verse 11. It says, Not that I speak from want, for I've learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. And I have had some smart people tell me, not really smart, but smartish people tell me, that this shows that Paul has never visited the state of Iowa. And you know, I'm like... Uh, I'm from Iowa, so I get the point, right? And uh, so um, why did Paul never visit the state of Iowa? Well, because their translation says, I've been learned to be content in whatever state I am in. And I don't think that's a fair translation. But anyway, uh, a fair understanding of Scripture. I get their point. It's a little bit of a put down. But Paul is saying, look, I've learned to be content, what, regardless of what I have or where I am. Yeah, just a few suggestions for contentment uh, rejoice rejoice um, joy or rejoice is mentioned 11 times in this short book and Paul's trying to shift their focus onto what is positive and the things and then give thanks focusing on the positive what are the things that you can be grateful for instead of the things to grumble and complain about uh, another thing that will a uh, suggestion for contentment is be generous. Be generous. Uh, 
I had a paper route when I was in sixth grade. I had to get up in the mornings and deliver newspapers and uh, rain or shine or in the heat or in the cold. It wasn't hot in the mornings, but it was certainly cold some mornings. And uh, there's one woman, she was an old woman, and she uh, was always up when I was delivering the newspaper. And she was not a nice person. She wasn't friendly. She was mean, actually. And uh, um, at one point, uh, she actually cheated me out of three weeks of newspapers. I delivered the paper, she refused to pay me. And uh, um, for a guy in sixth grade delivering newspapers early in the morning, that's a pretty hard hit that someone won't pay me for three weeks of, of work and papers that I had to pay for. And so I, I ate it. And uh, uh, she's just that kind of person, just not a nice person. Well, years later, I was in the neighborhood, and I was talking with a neighbor, and I asked about, you know, his neighbor that lived next door, and he said, oh, you knew Florence? I said, yeah. And he said, no, she's, she died. Funny thing is, when she died, no one knew it, but she was worth millions, but couldn't pay a little paper boy. Uh, generosity, folks. Uh, you can have tons of money and be a, a bitter person, an unhappy person. Uh, a key to contentment, one of the keys, I believe, is generosity. Another key to contentment is focus on eternity. Don't sweat the small stuff. Remember, remember, the Lord is coming. We will be with him someday. And uh, keep your, keep your, live in light of the Lord's return. And then uh, another key to contentment, don't put your hope in this world. No, there's, there's many things to hope in. Hope of getting married, getting a house, having children, uh, getting a job. There's a number of things, and it's not wrong to hope for those things, but if your hope is in this world, prepare for disappointment. Prepare for disappointment, because those things that you think are going to fulfill you will ultimately let you down. And then another key for contentment is don't compare yourself or your circumstances to other people. Don't compare it to what they have. Don't compare who you are or your gifts or talents with other people. Those are a few keys to contentment. When I was single living overseas, I had a friend, he was Russian, and he said, you Americans need so much to make you happy. And he says, us Russians, all we need is a table, two chairs, and something to drink when we're happy. Probably vodka, but anyway. Uh, I get his point. Uh, we need a lot of things to distract us a lot of times to make us happy. And um, what he was saying is the value of just simple conversation with another human being. That's what he was talking about. There's, a, there's an element of truth into that. Verse 12, it says, I know how to get along with humble means. I also know how to live in prosperity. And in every, uh, in every circumstance, I've learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. And so sometimes, you know, we have abundance, sometimes we are suffering need. Uh, J. Vernon McGee, the old radio Bible preacher from years ago, said sometimes Christians need to learn to live in abundance. Wow, okay. And um, a few years back, uh, a friend of mine and Jody's, uh, he had some uh, some some. Um, money vouchers for a hotel in Chicago, a nice hotel. He had uh, $500 worth of money vouchers 
for this hotel were going to expire that weekend and he couldn't use them and the hotel said that they wouldn't extend the deadline on them and so they needed to be spent that weekend and Jody and I were going to Chicago so we took the vouchers and I had a problem I never had before in my life. I had to spend $500 in one night. And when I got to the hotel and I gave them the vouchers, I had miscounted. We had $600. Oh no, now what am I going to do? It was a problem. I had to learn how to live in prosperity. And uh, so we got a room, a really nice room. And then the woman at the desk said, you know what I'm going to do for you? I'm going to upgrade you to the master suite. No charge. I'm like, how am I going to spend this money if you're giving me? <laughs> well, we got a great meal. Uh, we got... Uh, Room service. I've never had room service before in my life. And we got some cheesecake. Took forever to come. It wasn't very good. I gave the guy a huge tip. I was feeling pretty generous. I don't know why. And uh, the next morning, I wasn't hungry, but we had a big breakfast. And then we still had money left over. And we went to the gift shop. And our kids got Cubs shirts and Cubs hats and different gifts. And, and uh, uh, we were trying to spend all the money. And uh, I told a friend of mine about that. I said, I had a problem I never had before. And he just looked at me like, well, isn't that normally what it's like when you have a business? He's a businessman. <laughs> I'm like, no, oh, I'm talking to the wrong person here. He's had that problem many times, I guess. But yeah, one time I was flying on a transatlantic flight, and I, I got bumped up to first class. And uh, I normally fly coach. It's the only time I got bumped to first class. And I thought, wow, this is nice. I can get used to this. No, I can't, because it's the only time it's ever happened, and it's not likely to happen again. Uh, when you got prosperity, thank the Lord and enjoy it. And Paul says, and there's nothing wrong with the good gifts that God gives and enjoying that. And when you don't, um, that happens too. And there's some lean times. I've certainly had lean times in my life. Uh, one time... Uh, I felt like the Lord was leading me to take this group of people to Croatia for a two-week missions trip, and I spent literally my last nickel. I didn't have any money left on this missions trip. And uh, while we were there, a young boy came to Christ, and two other women came to Christ. I wouldn't change that. I wouldn't trade that for the, the prosperity of $600 in one night. Paul says in verse 13, a wonderful verse, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. We can do all things through Christ. Everything that God calls us to do, he will equip us for. It's the power of Christ working in us. That's the Christian life. It's not that we have all the gifts or all the talents, but it's that we have the Holy Spirit living in us. Each of us has a spiritual gift that God has given. He wants us to employ it for his glory. And it's not a natural personality trait. It's a spiritual gift that God has given us to employ for the benefit of the church, the body of Jesus Christ, for the expansion of the church of Jesus Christ. He's the power source. Um, there's the little children's book about the train that is pulling and it, it, could, it could pull its load as long as it stayed on the tracks. But once it was off the tracks, it couldn't do anything. Well, that's us. Jesus Christ is the tracks. 
He's the power source. As long as we stay connected to him, we can do all that he's called us to. So often people think, if I just had more biblical knowledge, or maybe a biblical Bible education, those are good things. Or, or if I was learned in how to share my faith, uh, I'd be more effective. Those, are, those can be good things. But the issue is the power of the Holy Spirit inside the life of the believer. Paul says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It's not a matter of our gifting. It's not a matter of our talent. Everything that God calls you to do, you can do through the power of Jesus Christ living in and dwelling you by the Holy Spirit. The issue is being in the will of God, abiding in him. The Philippian believers were a very faithful church. Verses 15 and 16 um, says that they shared with him in his affliction, even when he was in Macedonia, and more than once they gave a, gave a gift for him and for his ministry. They were very involved um, in his ministry. And then he, Paul says, uh, it's not that I seek the gift, but I seek the profit, verse 17, of what increases to your account. Paul was one of their missionaries, and they were giving to his ministry. And Paul says, you know what? The ministry I'm involved in, you get a dividend in it. This, is, this eternal work, this eternal gain, you share in that because your partner is with me in the gospel. You have a dividend in my ministry. How would you like to have the Apostle Paul as a missionary that you support? Well, wouldn't that be something? But when we support missionaries and when we are involved in the gospel, we have a dividend. We are sharers in the ministry that God allows that person to do on the field where we can't be. And yet, we get some of that eternal benefit, eternal reward. How that's all going to look, I don't know. I'm going to let God sort that out. But I do know that Paul says, I don't seek the gift, but I think seek the profit which increases to your account. And... <clears throat> Then Paul says in verse 18, the gift that they sent was a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. Uh, wow. Uh, you want to honor God? You want to glorify God? And Paul says, you know what? One simple way is just giving to those who are in the ministry. And um, it's an acceptable, well-pleasing sacrifice to God. If it's done for the right motives, Malachi, um, the Old Testament book of Malachi, chapter 1, verse 10, God says, Oh, that there were one among you who would shut the gates, that you might not uselessly kindle fire on my altar. I am not pleased with you, says the Lord of hosts, nor will I accept an offering from you. The issue isn't giving money. The issue isn't sacrifice. The issue isn't the good religious or Christian things that we do, the issue is the heart that we do these things with. Why are we, why are we giving? Why are we sacrificing? Yeah. And it can be a, a, an acceptable, acceptable sacrifice to God, or it can be something where God says, no, I don't, I don't want it. it. It's all dependent upon the motive and why we're doing what we're doing. And then um, Paul gives them the promise in verse 19. And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. This is a promise to the church at Philippi. And I believe to every church that is involved in gospel proclamation. 
that is sending out missionaries for worldwide gospel proclamation. And I believe it is also a promise to the individual who is involved. It doesn't say God's going to supply your every want, but your every need that he will. As, as they were giving and involved, God's going to provide for them as well. Um, the church in Philippi was a jewel. This was just a model church. What a great church. What a great church for us to emulate. Uh, they had their problems. They had their issues, but a good church. Uh, they were going to get a dividend in God's work. We are on regular Zoom calls, uh, Jody more than me, actually, um, with our Ukraine staff who uh, have lost so much. And um, they are wrestling with issues that we don't have to wrestle with. Uh, but they have the guarantee that we have. And that is that it's not about this world, but it's about the future. That we have a hope that goes beyond this world, a future and a hope that we have, the world does not have, that cannot be taken away. We can invest our lives, our time, our talents, our energy, all that we have for something that can't be lost in, um, in a conflict. Things can change on a dime in this world, um, but we can invest in something that is eternal, that cannot be taken away. So, um, let's pray. Lord God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much for... Um, what you have blessed us with, I pray that we would be wise stewards of all that we have and um, that you would bless the ministry of this church and that uh, it would extend well beyond the walls of this building and well beyond this community, that we would be involved in the advancement of the gospel worldwide, uh, that we would be involved corporately as well as individually. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we are going to observe the Lord's Supper right now. And here at Grace Church, we have what's called an open communion, which means you don't have to be a member of this church. It's open to anyone who confesses Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Um, but it is for the person who says, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, that um, he's my Savior. It's not just a, a tradition that we do, but it's, a, it's a, something that we do to remember the Lord's death and resurrection on our behalf. So as is our tradition, please... Um, from the front, come forward, grab the elements, go back to your seat, and we'll take communion together. <laughs> 